0: Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. i you with spiritual nuggets that you can take home and carry through the week. Uh, however, that's not what we're doing today, okay? We're talking about our church. We're talking about our family, I think the best way to start is to pray. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here today. You've been you've been so weighty this morning. You've been so everywhere. Now Lord, help us through this time. Meet us where we need to be, Lord. Meet us where we really are. Help us to hold an open mind, an open spirit, an open ears. Not to hear me, Lord, but to hear you. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. You have everything that we need. And this morning, Lord, we ask for a release of those things in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, everybody knows that we're created in the image and likeness of God, right? So, uh, there was a time when I believed that image and likeness was God saying something twice So we'd be sure to realize it was important. That's what I thought. You know, image and likeness, image and likeness. But that's not the case at all. When we're talking about being created in the image of God, what we're talking about is God in every one of us places these basic DNA building blocks of who he is. His character, his spiritual identity, his moral values. All of those things are placed in us, and we're an image of that. We're a replica of that. We're not God. We're just an image of God. Does that make sense? Likeness is a different thing, however. So when we get around the idea of likeness, what we're talking about is um, the individuality of who we are. We're all created uniquely, being transformed by the Holy Spirit to be like God. Does that make sense? Can you roll with that? Okay, I'm hoping. So, churches are kind of the same way. Uh, churches are a different expressions of the body of Christ. Not all churches are the same, but all Christian churches are similar. They have unique properties, and we're one of those. We're a unique property. And when you get involved in the church, generally speaking... Uh, At some point in time, maybe right away, maybe you're here today as a visitor, uh, checking us out, and you're welcome, Uh, and maybe you have these four general questions kind of in mind. The first question is, who's in charge? Who's in charge of this place? The second question is, what are we doing right now? What are we doing? The third question is, where are we going? Where are we going to go here? And the fourth question is, how do I fit into it? How do we fit into it? Those are the four questions that I'd like to talk about today. Now, as far as who's in charge, everybody knows the answer is Jesus, right? Is there any doubt of that? You know, Jesus in uh, Matthew 28, talking about the Great Commission, he turns to his disciples and he says, what? All authority in heaven and on earth, is given to me. Jesus is in charge. However, I think a lot of the time, that's not really the question that's being asked. The question that's really kind of being asked that we wonder about is, how do we make decisions? How are decisions made here in this church, and who makes them? Did you wonder about that? Yeah. So, how decisions get made here begin in God's Word, which is a great place to begin. Because in God's Word, what we see is a pattern of how God wants decision-makers to be. Uh, if you look in your Bible, in the 14th chapter of Acts, and we're just going to go through these really quickly and not unpack them. Uh, what you're seeing in the, the 14th chapter of Acts, verses 21 through 23, well, the backstory story is this. Paul and Barnabas are on a circuit talking to all these churches in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And in verse 23, they say this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul writes to Titus in his letter, and he says this, speaking to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And even Peter writes in his first letter in chapter 5, and he says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. God wants his church overseen by elders. That's the plan, that is the pattern. And there's a number of other places in God's word where you will find that. The word is presbuteros, presbuteros. That means overseer. And that's what elders do, and that's what the elders here at Vine Life do, is they oversee. If you'd like to see a picture of how they do this sometime, just read the 15th chapter of Acts, and you'll see very much how that actually operates here at Vine Life. So in our church, the elders oversee the church as a team. Every place you find elder leadership discussed in the Bible, you'll find it in the plural. There is no a elder leading. There is a group of elders that lead. And so they oversee and they delegate a lot of authority. They're responsible for vision. They're responsible for direction. And we actually have a list of about 10 or 12 things that the elders hold to themselves for being finally responsible for. they are things like matters of doctrine, church discipline, uh, final approval of the budget, major hiring decisions, weightier mediations, where there's challenges, those kinds of things. There's a limited amount, and everything else is delegated to another team, and that's the senior leadership team. Okay, so we have this team of senior leaders, and while the elders deal with direction and vision, the senior leaders deal with the strategies and the tactics, how these things get done, and who does them. Sometimes the senior leaders in those decisions do it themselves, Sometimes they're the champion, they're the catalyst, they're the initiator, and at other times they delegate that to somebody else, to a leader of ministry, a ministry team. Sometimes we have champions, like, uh, is Marilyn here? Where's Marilyn? Are you here? Marilyn is our communion champion. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. This all happens because Marilyn serves. She champions that. And we have a number of different champions that do different things. Larry Boroff is our usher champion. Yeah, (laughs) Are we going to get Larry to do another video? Is this ever going to happen? (laughs) So you have the elders, you have the senior leaders, you have the balance of leaders, ministry leaders, champions, and then there's one other piece you have, and that is the voices from outside our community that speak into us as well you know, a while back, we had a terrible thing happen here. We had a major moral failure by a very senior leader. It caused a lot of problems. It was very painful. And one of the things that made it worse is that we did not look for other voices. We didn't look for anybody that has been through this experience, anybody that could give us wisdom, that could speak into this. We white-knuckled our way, or tried to, being captive by the insurance companies and the lawyers, and all of that. Well, that spirit of independence revealed itself, and we're not doing that anymore. So we have a number of voices that speak into our community. I'd like to introduce you to two of them, and I think we have a picture we can put up. The first one is a man named Ben Sternke. That's Ben. Now, Ben has been in ministry for 21 years. He's a graduate of the London School of Theology. That sounds impressive. He's been a worship pastor. He's been a lead pastor. He's been a church planter. He spent 10 years coaching and consulting with leaders. He co-founded Gravity Leadership, which is something we're really involved in. Uh, and he trains church leaders to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and multiply disciples. And he's currently planning a church in Fishers, Indiana, called the table. So Ben is one of the voices that speaks into us, and we'll connect with Ben, sometimes even on a weekly basis in different ways. A second person that speaks into us is John Peterson. Now John looks pretty stern there, okay? He's not. He's a very kind and very loving man. Uh, John is a little older, and he began church planning in the Jesus movement back in the 70s. Yeah, Then he went to Amsterdam, and he spent 13 years as a leader in YWAM, in Eastern and Western Europe. He came back here to Sacramento, California, uh, and he became a servant leader to a network of local pastors and intercessory prayer groups. Then that group sent him to minister in Kansas City, connecting with the citywide prayer movement, and he became the associate pastor of the Metro Christian Fellowship. In 2005, he launched City Force, and that's an organization that serves pastors and leaders in communities and brings them together. And today he's published a book, I brought a copy of it, it's called Unraveled, okay? And I recommend this book to you, and I'll tell you why. This is a story of three churches and things that they experienced. And the very first church here is Believers Church from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Believer's Church was an amazing, rising, thriving, healthy church. And they had a major moral failure by a senior leader. And it took them out. It took them off the rails. And they've spent 18 years getting back in place. And today they're thriving and they're healthy. And that's particularly relevant to us because of our own experiences. John can speak experience because he helped them get through that situation. John gives oversight to the International 24-7 Prayer Movement and the Boiler Room Church Plant Network here in Colorado and globally. So those are a couple of people that speak into us, and, and we connect with John probably at least every two weeks or so. Uh, we're together. We're together. The senior leaders and the elders meet twice a week every week, and they begin with prayer in every meeting. That's the way we operate here. We also have other resources that we look at as well. Uh, for example, there's a book called Pursuing God's Will Together written by an author named uh, Ruth Haley Barton that talks about how we as a group discern where God is leading our group and what we're doing. There's a book called missional, Leading Missional Communities, Mike Breen, Kansas City. And that's about how m- we have to become missional. Okay, We have to become missional. Uh, the Forgotten Ways, Alan Hirsch. That takes us back to the roots of revival and how churches play a role in it. Creating a missional culture, J.R. Woodward. These are the kinds of books that we use to help inform us. And between these kinds of men that speak into our community and these kinds of authors, they create a set of guardrails. And that set of guardrails keeps us safe, and it keeps us focused, and it keeps us on mission to pursue Jesus. Second question is, what are we doing right now? Well, as I just said, we've come through a time of, let's call it deconstruction. We've had a lot of things happen to us over the past few years. And so we've been passing down this road and we've come through these storms and I think our leadership believes we've turned a corner. We've turned a corner, and now we're ready to grow. Now we're ready to build. And I hope somebody will say amen. Please. Yes. Yes. That's what we believe. So we're in reconstruction. Now, understand, please, reconstruction is a work in progress. Okay? It moves at the speed of God. It doesn't move at the speed of Bob or anybody else for that matter. And so we are in Reconstruction, and you can see little evidences and tendrils all around this place here of that fact. Reconstruction means we're doing a few things. One of them is that we're examining our past. We're looking at our past, our practices, our values, and we're asking the Holy Spirit, show us where we need to change our thinking. Show us where we need to repent. and and align with what you're doing in this community. Another thing that Reconstruction means is that we're committed to nurturing healthy relationships, healthy relationships amongst the leaders, that our leaders don't compete. They don't conflict. They remain in a healthy relationship, and healthy relationships amongst all of us as people who are part of this community, part of this family. The third thing that we're doing in Reconstruction is we're revitalizing and refocusing on the power of prayer. This is a house of prayer. It's always been a house of prayer. And we need prayer more now than we've ever needed prayer. So we have an intercessory prayer group. We have a prayer group that meets upstairs before this service every Sunday morning. We have a prayer chain. And you will see this coming year more and more prayer activities and prayer events where we can come together corporately and get on our face before the Lord. That's a value we have. We're also learning um, and this is tricky we're learning from Jesus how to be a church that gathers people equips them to their calling and sends them because what we really want to do is we want to gather everybody equip you to your calling and then keep you because we love you we don't want you to go away, okay? But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to release you into the destiny that Jesus has for you. So, Reconstruction, it's a journey. It's, it's not the destination. Jesus leads us, and we follow. And we don't always have a clear picture of where he's taken us. I mean, if I look over the last 20 years in this church... I can't imagine most of the things that happened. Okay? That's the Lord moving in our life. But we know He's for us. We know He loves us. We know He forgives us. He wants the best for us. So it's not hard to follow His lead and trust Him. Now, this brings me to the notion of how do I fit in? And when I say I, I don't mean me. I mean you. Okay? How do you fit in? Well... First of all, I think one place to fit in is to fit in right now. We're talking about right now. And the way you do that is you engage in the life of this church. That's something that we can do right now. You gather here. You come. You worship. You pray. You give. You learn. You do all those things. Engage and keep on engaging. Keep on keeping on. That's how you fit in right now. That's how all of us fit in right now. Another way that we fit in is this. (laughs) <laughs> this church, you guys are a piece of work, okay? I just have to tell you, you are a piece of work and I love you. And you're like a bag of mixed seeds. Now the trouble with all these seeds is most of them, you look at them and you cannot figure out what that seed is, okay? It's just a seed. It does not look like a plant and it doesn't look like fruit. And the only way we're ever going to get to the plant is we've got to plant it. That seed has to be planted. And how do we do that? The way we plant that seed of who you are and who God's calling you to be, the way we plant that seed, we have a name for it. It's called discipleship. Okay? Now, discipleship means becoming a learner and a follower of Jesus, committed to doing what he's showing us to do. It is not an accident that you are here. Okay? You didn't just show up. You may think you did, but you did not. The Holy Spirit drew you here, drew you here to be planted and to grow in the way that He wants you to grow. But you have to cooperate with that. Okay? You have to engage. You have to be involved. You have to enter into discipleship. Well now, how do you become a disciple? How do you be? I'll tell you what most of us do. We get the Bible. We open up God's Word here. And we study that thing. And we read commentaries. And we read other books. And we're very committed to knowing and understanding the Word of God. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The second thing that we do is we become servants and we say, we want to serve. We want to serve our families, our church, our community, our workplace. Wherever it is, we want to do good deeds. Is anybody here against good deeds? No. Okay? We want to do good deeds. So we tend to focus on the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. And here's what we miss out on. Think about being in a swimming pool. You're in a swimming pool and you're standing in water up to your neck. And you look around the pool and you have a particular thing that you see. You see other people's heads bobbing around the pool and the edge of the pool deck and your Mai Tai and the table up there by your lounge chair and all those kinds of things. But when you take your head down underneath the water, you see something quite different. Okay? Okay? And if we only spend our time looking at the Mai Tai and the deck chairs and the other bobbing heads, then we will never get below the waterline of our own awareness to understand what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. We have an indwelling Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit's doing something. But when we're so engaged in studying the Word, and we're so engaged in doing good things, we tend to not drop down below the waterline of our awareness and see what the Holy Spirit's doing. What is the way of Jesus? That's part of becoming a disciple. Now, a good way to become a disciple is to join a cohort. And I could talk for several hours on cohorts. Mercifully, I'm not going to do that, but I want to tell you a couple things about cohorts. Uh, The first thing is, what is a cohort? A cohort is a small group of people, uh, usually no more than six with a facilitator. And they commit to meet for an hour and a half a week. Uh, Sometimes uh, they meet physically face-to-face. Sometimes they meet through Skype or Zoom or some of these um, remote conferencing tools. And what they do is they begin to learn how to get below that waterline of awareness to see what is Jesus, what is the Holy Spirit, what is the Father doing in their life. Now, we're about three years into cohorts now, or I think maybe we're starting the third year, and this is amazing. We decided when we felt this was where God was leading us, that we would never be able to bring this into our house and into our culture if we did not do it ourselves. You can't teach what you don't know, and you can't lead where you won't go. So, all of the senior leaders, all of the elders, entered into the cohort process, and we've now completed about two years of that process. Some of those who entered into the cohort process are replicating other cohorts. So, this has broadly spread within our community, and I'll just ask this, if you're in a cohort now, or if you have been in a cohort, could you just stand up for one second? Look around this room. Look around this room. This is incredible. Sit down. Thank you. This is where we're going. Oh, one other question for all of you who stood up. Was it worth it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the next cohorts will start in the fall. And I want to invite you to engage in that. They tend to run sometime in September around to maybe about this time of the year as they finish out that course and then they tend to segue into other expressions of cohort uh, as well where are we going talking about what we're doing talking about how decisions get made how we're being led where are we going well, folks In case you haven't noticed, the world of church has changed. There was a time we cut a deal with the world and we said, look, you give us Sunday mornings and you give us maybe Wednesday nights and you can have the rest. Do whatever you want. And nowadays, we have this thing called sucker. Sunday morning sucker. And the world began to invade a very bad deal that we made culturally in the process Churches that gather and do not send are like mules. You look at a mule, you look at a horse, you see two animals look very similar, big, powerful, strong, and all that. But there's a critical difference, and that is that mules are sterile. Mules cannot reproduce themselves. That is not possible. We do not want to be a mule. If our expression is limited to being a Sunday-centric church... And this is what we do. We gather here. We come. We worship. We praise the Lord. We receive a teaching. We pray. We get ministered to and we minister to others. If we go that place and no farther then we're imagining that we're walking with Jesus. If we do not replicate, if we do not replicate, if we do not step outside of these walls and engage the world around us, in our neighborhoods, wherever it may be, then we are limited to being mules. And that's it. So we must replicate. The the difference is this. When we're a Sunday-centric church, um, it it doesn't mean Sunday-centric churches are bad at all. But that's not our destiny. That's what I'm trying to say. That's not who we're called to be. That's not why you were brought here and planted to see what kind of plant you're going to be. Not at all. So, what's the alternative to being a Sunday-centric church? The alternative is to be a kingdom-centric church. The church in our culture today is losing its place. We've dabbled in politics. We've dabbled in social justice. We've done all these kinds of things. Church, big C. Okay? And at every turn, we've lost our relevance and the reason we have is as long as we try to remain sunday centric the culture is shifting away from that so what does a sunday or a kingdom centric church look like well a kingdom centric church I'm struggling saying that this morning kingdom centric church looks like this it's diverse it's active it's connected in accountability with its leadership And it has some different kinds of properties. And these are just examples. One example is churches are relational. We are engaged in relationship. Jesus had a relationship with 12 men. He didn't go stand at the temple and proclaim a system. Okay? We're relational. And and, uh, kingdom-centric churches are relational. And the way sometimes they express that relationship is they coalesce in small groups. Small groups of people that as the language often is, do life together. They engage with each other. They engage with the people around them, and they meet their needs, and they meet the needs amongst themselves and the needs of the people that they're adjacent to. Another thing that you'll find in kingdom-centric churches is a desire to expand, to not be the mule, to replicate. And that expresses itself like in church plants. What is a church plant? Well, a church plant is usually a small group of friends who come together. They put themselves in a setting, a neighborhood, someplace like that, and they begin to gather other people, and they begin to build relationship and introduce them to the kingdom of God. A third thing are ministry centers. We need ministry centers on our main streets we need them in our malls. We need them in our neighborhoods. Ministry centers, what are those? Those are little outposts where we can counsel with people, where we can pray with them, where we can encourage them, when we can equip them and help them deal with the problems in their life. Those are little ministry centers. And there needs to be one in every little town, in every little neighborhood where people can get the relationship and the care they need, and that's what city uh, Sunday-centric churches do. Sometimes uh, kingdom-centric churches offer um, mentoring. Mentoring can be very important. It's one thing to read a book. It's another thing to talk with the author. That's a very different thing. Mentoring can make a lot of difference because it has a component. Uh, and that component's called care, love. All right. When we're mentoring, what we're doing is we're interacting with another person and we're saying, I care about you. I love you, I'm for you, and I want to help you. That's what we're doing when we're mentoring someone. And there are a lot of people in life, you know, they're struggling. They're struggling because they're uninformed. They're struggling because they've made a collection of bad decisions. They're struggling because they've been dispossessed. They've been marginalized. All of those things happen, and we can help them, and we can make a difference in their life and introduce them to the kingdom of God. So that's where we're going. We're going to become a kingdom-centric church. How do you fit in right now? Well, many of you are already engaged. I mean, we have things like Amigos, Mike and Nancy do, or Mbueza Foundation that Dale and Jennifer Peterson do. There's all kinds of activities. Some of you gather together Now? you gather together and you build relationship with each other and you pray for each other and you encourage each other. So, the first thing that we can do now in terms of how we fit in is we can engage. We can engage and become involved. If you're a cohort graduate, something you can do is lead another cohort, replicate yourself. Find another cohort graduate and come together and establish another cohort. We'll work with you. We'll help you with all the support and encouragement that you need. And that's how we replicate and be thinking about that for the fall because that's when the next round of cohorts will begin. Now, some of us here today are saying, wait a minute, Bob, this isn't what I signed up for. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I don't want to go to a foreign land. I don't want to start a small group. I don't want to mentor people. I don't want to do any of those things. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay. Maybe the calling that you have, if that's you, right now, is to simply be present. Be part of this community. Come, gather with us, worship with us, encounter the Holy Spirit with us, because you're important to this community. You represent some of the fullness of who you are your genuine important seeds in that bag of seeds that we're planting in this garden some of you maybe feel the role of the church is to care for our family like our kids yeah and think about our kids and our youth you know we want them to grow up in the lord right but that depends on you okay we can't pay people to love our children That's something we have to do. We have to care for them and we care for them one by one by one. That's how we care for them. When Jesus gave the parable of the man in the ditch that had been beset upon by robbers, He didn't send the temple. He sent a person to get that guy out of the ditch. It's one by one by one. But you can get involved with that right now. That's another way. What about young adults? You know, young adults are leaving the church in record numbers, (laughs) okay? And why are they leaving the church in record numbers? Because their mama and daddy made them go? Nah. The reason that they're leaving is because the church does not speak to them in a language they can understand. The church tends to speak to them in the language of religion and the language of these shallow social programs, let's go roller skating together. And somehow Jesus will show up. Okay? And that's not what they need. And that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for someone to engage with them that can help them interpret the experiences that they have as they move into adulthood. Someone who will care enough about them to tell them the truth and help them out. Is it unimaginable that... Any of us could hook up with a young person like that and have coffee with them once a week and ask the big question, how you doing? We're a house of prayer, as I said earlier. We have a lot of prayer activities going on. And hopefully, we'll be at a place where you're open to entering into prayer if you're not already involved. Whether, as I said, that's intercessory prayer, whether that is prayer chain, whether that's the prayer events that we're going to have where we gather corporately, whatever it may be, that's a place you can get involved. Did you have a hard time connecting when you got here? How many had a hard time connecting when you got here? I'm not going to put you on the spot. It's safe. Okay, well, everybody here did well. I'm not sure everybody does well. And maybe what we need to have is some of us who are willing to be a host to people. When they come and they visit, particularly people if they happen to come from the community that we live in or the area in which we work, and we can encourage them and welcome them and tell them a little bit about how we're led, what we're doing right now, where we're going, and how they can fit in. I think this morning your leadership has tried to convey an answer to the four questions that we're talking about. How are we led? We're led by elders and other leaders in unity, following Jesus, aligning with the Word of God, and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. What are we doing right now? We're reconstructing. We're rebuilding here. We're following the Lord, and we're continuing our practices, and we're building our discipleship muscle. That's what cohorts are all about. The cohort, by the way, is not an end, it's just a means. It's a tool that we use to open the doors to what God has placed in us already. Where are we going? We're going to become a kingdom-centric church ever more. We're already on that path, and we're going to go more and more. And how do you fit in? I think the possibilities are unlimited, I really do. I think there's all kinds of ways. And I pray this morning that while we've talked, and I've probably provoked you a little bit, I pray that you will begin to see the possibilities for you and ask the Holy Spirit about that. I pray that you'll ask the Holy Spirit, yeah, how do I fit in here? Why did you bring me here? What am I doing here? Where should I go? In Matthew twenty-one twenty-eight through 32 Jesus raises a question and he says this he says what do you think a man had two sons and he went to the first and he said son go and work in the vineyard today and he the son answered and said I will not but then afterwards he changed his mind he went and did it and he went to the other son and he said the same and that son answered I go sir but did not go? Which one did the will of the Father? See, I think we've all turned down chances to work in the vineyard for all kinds of reasons. We've done that at times. I believe that to be true. But let's let that be something in the past. Let's let that stay in the past, okay? Let's commit to answering the invitation that our Heavenly Father issues and commit to following Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. Let's stand, please. It's time to get out of here. We're running late. We need the ministry team to please come. Um, it's Bob at Vinelife.com if you want to correct me. <laughs> Chastise me or whatever. Um, now, we have prayer rooms going today, Dee Dee? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, some of you have signed up for encouragement, Encouraging Word Room, some for Healing Prayer, and I believe you're supposed to gather right over here in this corner. What I gave you today is a lot. It's a big old chunk of stuff. But what I want you to leave with is an understanding, a belief, a feeling, and awareness that you're being led... The way God wants churches being led, that we're doing things that God wants his churches to do, that we're going places where God wants his churches to go, and you have a role in a place no matter who you are. Okay? Now I bless you. I bless you. Oh, the Chili Cook Off, yeah. Who's going? Are you going to the Chili Cook Off? We're going to go to the Chili Cook Off. Oh, okay. Yeah, swing by there and check that out. That's going to be fabulous. And I just bless you. I bless you that the Holy Spirit will make you crazy. That will just, He'll stir around in you and stir around in you until your holy discontent becomes so great that you can go below that waterline and discover who you are in Christ. Amen? Amen. See you next week.